Mormon book reviews where an evangelical encounters the restoration. I'm your host, Stephen Pinecker, and I am so excited for this new guest. This is a dude who just started the channel very recently. Uh, he got into my uh, on my radar a few weeks ago, and he's kind of doing the same thing I'm doing. And uh, I kind of like what he, I, I really like the work he's doing. So I reached out to this guy because I thought, I like what he's doing. Um, I think you're getting close to 200 subscribers now, uh, yeah, which- yeah, nearly 200. Which, hey, you're, you're ahead of my pace, man. It took me um, it took me like two and a half, three months to get to 100 subscribers. And you've been doing this for like two months now, right? Yeah, yeah, about two months now. But yeah, it's, it's the long game, isn't it? You have to be consistent. Yep, yeah, because, well, before we start talking, I got to introduce, this is my bud who has a podcast called Mormonism with the Murph. How are you doing today? I'm doing really well, Stephen. Thanks for having me on your program. So, um I, uh, this is part of the MMR segment that's part of Mormon Book Reviews, where I uh, like to highlight podcasters, uh, up-and-coming podcasters, film directors. We do movie reviews, uh, uh, Under the Banner of Heaven, After Show, like I did with Rebecca. That all falls under the MMR. We've been doing this all along. We're not changing the channel. It's just uh, we want to be able to differentiate. So what's that? I was thinking that before, and I was like, MMR? Did you share yes. the name of his, of his podcast? Yeah. <laughs> You're like, what's going on? And like, no, it's on Mormon Book Review. So either way, I um, I, I reached out to you. And I was like, okay, I want to hear this guy's story because I really don't know much about you until we started talking uh, last week. And I said, okay, I want you to come on my program. I want you to tell me what your podcast is all about um, and what, what made you decide to do it. And then I'm going to give you some background. So, and by the way, folks, you just released an interview with Dan Vogel. And then last week you had Brian Hale. So you're lining up some pretty big names, which I think is really yeah. cool. No, I was super pumped about getting both Brian and Dan to come on and just have a really good transparent dialogue about, you know, things with the truth claims and church history. So yeah, super pumped about those interviews. Yeah. And, and so folks, this is, this is an up and coming guy. <clears throat> Keep an eye out for him. But before we get there, before we get to your uh, podcast, I always like to get a little background from my guests. Um, where are you located at, by the way? So I live in Northern Ireland, which uh, is part of the UK. Uh, I live in a very small place called Portadown. So it's about 40 minutes southwest of Belfast. Okay. And uh, that's pretty cool. And what's it like being in Northern Ireland today? I'm just curious because, of course, I grew up with there are the Troubles and then you had the Good Friday Accords that were signed in 1999, which in essence finally ended the war between the Catholics and the Protestants been raging in Europe for centuries. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's what's, it, what's it like there now? It's a lot calmer. You know, there's still uh, parades that would happen, you know, every, you know, every July and such, but there's not really the same contention as there, you know, was during my early childhood, although I was, you know, three during you know, the Good Friday Agreement. So I didn't experience much of the troubles, but you know, my family, uh, my parents experienced it. But uh, no, it's um, it's a good place to live in some ways, but the weather's kind of rubbish. It's always wet or rainy or cloudy. Um, but it's a very small country. Like, see, even when you go to England, uh, you know, I've been to America and Canada and it's such a small country. Yeah. That is that everything's that like, I was talking to Matthew Gill about it. And he's like, I said, oh, yeah, he likes to go to Orlando. And I'm like, well, I can I'm only a few hours away, a couple hours away. We can meet up. He's like, that's what you Americans like. You think two or three hour drive is nothing. And then for us, it's like we never do that. <laughs> for me, it's like the bottom of my country. <laughs> <laughs> so 
Um, yeah, that's really cool. And that's, of course, you date me because I'm like, I, you're three years old when they signed the Good Friday Accords in 1999. So I feel like I'm so old. But either way, it's all good. And that's why I'm here, because honestly, I want to be able to highlight people that are up and coming like you. I think you're doing a really good work. And so you're from Northern Ireland. Yep. And uh, just tell me about being raised in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Right. So, yeah, so I was born and I'm raised in the church. Uh, my mom, she was born to the church. So my grandparents, on my mom's side, they were converts. Uh, my mom was super faithful. She was primary president. She served a mission. She went to uh, the Bristol Wales mission. She's also served as like a young women's president and Relief Society seminary teacher. My dad, he was a convert to the church. So he joined in his early twenties. He grew up sort of Protestant Presbyterian was his faith. Uh, so he converted, he had a friend who was a member of the church and who gave him the Book of Mormon. He took the missionary discussions. Uh, according to my dad, what he's told me, he said that he felt the spirit during the first vision discussion, which I think was the first lesson at the time. Uh, so he, he got baptized. I don't think he told his family until after he got baptized. So they had some issues with it, I think, but they've been generally quite accepting and supportive. Uh, he went on a mission to Canada, Winnipeg, and then met my mom after they got married and had three kids. So then I came along. But no, um, I had a good, probably normal childhood, you know, went to primary. We would have done scripture study, family home evening, maybe not like every night. You know, we weren't perfect at it. Uh, but yeah, I would have went to church on Sundays and then went to young men's and seminary. I, I wouldn't have said that I was a spiritual child. I wouldn't say I had a testimony, you know, growing up in the church. I wasn't really sure about, you know, what I believe with regards to, you know, Jesus or Joseph Smith. Uh, but I would say as a child, I'd had small experiences with prayer. So I did believe that there was a God or that Heavenly Father, you know, answered my prayers and in just, you know, simple ways, like, you know, if I needed to try to find a lost toy or couldn't find my ball or couldn't find where my homework was. And, you know, I was taught, like, if you say a prayer and ask Heavenly Father, he'll help you to find it. And then, so then I, I pray. And um, so I think my screen just froze there. It's all right. We can, we can power through this. There we go. Oh, there we go. I'm back. But, you know, before we, before we, uh, I just want to get back because it's an interesting story. You know, one thing that's interesting, of course, Northern Ireland growing up, it's highly sectarian, you know, like with your, in, during your parents' era, highly sectarian. You either were Catholic, you were Protestant. Yeah. Now, where did the Mormons fit in that area? Like, how, how are they, how are they at that time? If you're, your parents maybe probably can give you a better uh, perspective on this, but like, how, how are Mormons viewed during this, these highly sectarian times? So whenever I, so I lived in England for six years between the ages of six and 12, whenever I came back at age 12, so I didn't really know much about, you know, the Protestant versus, versus Catholic, you know, rhetoric. But one of the first questions I was asked at school is, are you a Protestant or a Catholic? And I was like, uh, I was like, I'm a Mormon. And then they're like, well, are you a Catholic Mormon or are you a Protestant Mormon? And I was like, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so it's, it's not even so much about religion as it's which political side are you on but northern ireland is predominantly protestant it's mostly protestant but there is catholic areas but th there even has been a bit of tension or divide in some wards over you know your political sort of background 
I'll bet. That's interesting. So let's get back. So you're saying that you growing up as a young man, you, you found that you believed that there was a God because he would answer your prayers. Uh, highly experiential. I, I, I recognize, I, you know, look, I come from a charismatic background, which is also a very highly experiential faith tradition. And so whenever I talk to Mormons, I'm like, okay, you, you're speaking the same language. I'm familiar with this. And uh, to some more conservative charismatics that might give them pause, but I, I'm, I like to, I find that fascinating. So you, you felt growing up, there's a God, you're going through the, you, you get baptized in your eight, I'm assuming, and all this kind yeah, of stuff. Did, yeah. Okay. Let's just continue with the story. Yeah. So um, I would have had those many experiences, but I would say that I would only have prayed to God if I needed help. I was kind of right. a selfish child. Got it. Uh, and it was almost like, like magic. I, you know, I'd pray and then I would get this thought, you know, look here, check there. And then find it, you know, and people would roll their eyes, you know, like the God of lost keys or the God of lost objects. Mm -hmm. But I remember after thinking like, huh, it, like it worked, like God's almost like a genie mm -hmm. in a way. But then there would have been no thank you. Oh, it yeah. wouldn't have been, let's just talk and get to know each other. Um, so I would have just been almost using God if I ne needed help. Uh, but I had a really good childhood. Uh, I was really into, you know, sports and had lots of friends. Uh, whenever I was 12, so when we moved back to Northern Ireland, uh, I experienced probably the first trial in my life. I started at a brand new uh, secondary school, didn't know any of the kids. So it was kind of a, an intimidating experience. And I felt like really scared and, you know, you're a teenager, so you felt shy, self-conscious. And um, I had a really hard time fitting in. And long story short, I experienced a lot of like bullying over those couple of years and it was quite a hard time and a lonely time in my life where I felt a lot of emotional suffering and, and loneliness. And I kind of felt like, you know, I'm a good kid. Why, you know, why is this happening to me? Um, I do remember praying to God at one point being like, you know, why, why is this happening? Like, if I'm your child, like, why am I going through this? Like, please take this away. Uh, so it was when I was around the age of 14, uh, the missionaries reached out to me and they gave me where they took me for young, young men's activity. And then they had a preach my gospel, which is kind of like the missionary manual for teaching the lessons and how to be a missionary. But they invited me to, to study the missionary lessons and to sort of gain a testimony for myself. So at this point, I think I did have that desire. You know, I was 14, I was a little bit more mature than I was as a child. And I think because of this trial, I kind of wanted to turn towards God so I was reading, you know, the missionary lessons, I was studying the scriptures, and for the first time I felt like I was starting to understand the gospel and the plan of salvation and Joseph Smith and the Book of Mormon. And it all just rang true, both in my heart and in my mind. You know, it made sense, it felt right. And even though I was raised in the church, it almost felt like that was my conversion experience. And so then I went on to do Moroni's promise. You know, I, I felt like I believed my faith was growing. I want that spiritual witness. Uh, so I did more nice promise, you know, ask with a sincere heart, real intent, you know, are these things true? Uh, at age 14, I felt like I received a spiritual manifestation. Mm. It was true. So I felt like I received, you know, that burning in the bosom, that testimony. But also during this period, I felt like I really came to know the Savior in a more personal, intimate way. And that his atonement wasn't just that he suffered for our sins, but I felt peace and comfort that he knew exactly the suffering and, and the sadness and the anxiety and things that I was struggling with, that he had experienced that. The Book of Mormon 
talked about that. I remember a statement in Preach My Gospel that said that all that's like unfair about this life will be made right through his atonement. Uh, so really during that time, I felt like I came to know the Savior more personally and felt his love and his grace and also healing that I felt slowly I was able to overcome the, the issues that I was struggling with. Uh, and there's scripture I love in Ether 12 that talks about how the Lord gives us weaknesses so we can be humble, but that he can, if we have faith in him and humble ourselves, he can turn our weaknesses into strengths. Mm -hmm. And there are so many things that I learned you know, from, from that particular trial in my life, but that's really where I you know, gained my time. Well, let me ask you, you said you were 14 years old, 14 years when this, old when this happened. Did you feel like a special kinship with a young 14-year-old farm boy in upstate New York? Yeah, I did. <laughs> I'll bet. I, Joseph Smith, I, I felt like I really related to him. I can remember one night reading the 1838, you know, his, his history, both of the first vision and of the visitation of the angel and it all just rung true to me and I, I i did feel that connection to joseph smith and he was always my my favorite prophet you know growing up in the church yeah every, it seems like that seems to be everybody resonates with joseph uh so much and and it's very sincere and so you uh you have this spiritual experience when you're 14 you're growing in your faith um What's next? Did you serve your mission, or what? What's yeah. the next step in your journey? So you know, I you know, I continued to you know to go to church, go to church activities. I went on temple trips, EFYs. I would I would say I continued to have spiritual experiences, and you know, my testimony was strong. Uh, at age eighteen, my one of my close friends, we grew up in youth together. He was always like a little brother to me. He had uh, a near death experience where he almost died to a severe asthma attack. He went into cardiac arrest and uh, he was brought into ICU and he, he very nearly died. And that, that was a moment that really shook me emotionally. And it was one of those times where I felt like completely helpless. And I was 18 at the time. So it was getting close to going on a mission. And I, ever since I received my testimony at 14, the plan was to go on a mission. But as it was getting closer to the time, I didn't want to go. Huh. Just. I was getting cold feet, you know, the thought of like, do I really want to leave my friends and my family for two years? You know, no movies, no video games, no sports. Uh, and I'll be going to a foreign country and have to talk to strangers, you know, about the church and the gospel. And I was like, that sounds awful. <laughs> and I, I felt like I'd, I didn't want to go. But at the same time, I felt like, you know, it was part of God's plan. But anyway, uh, so when, whenever I was confused about whether I should go on a mission, I remember going to my room and praying for my friend and, and we were told uh, that the doctor said he wasn't going to live. Mm. And it was one of those really humble prayers where I just prayed to God in just desperation that he would help save my best friend's, or well, my best friend, but my, my friend's life. Uh, it just it just felt wrong that he was going to die. Like, how could this happen? It was just a freak accident. and. You know, I believe that God answered prayers. I believe he was God of, of miracles. And I remember saying that prayer and getting this this feeling or this prompting that that he was going to live and that I needed to get my family and we fasted and prayed for him. And, and that was a really sacred and, and spiritual time where we were just reading the scriptures, reading about the miracles of Jesus and really exercising faith. Uh, but long story short, uh, my friend, he, he didn't pass away. He did 
live and the doctor said you know he's never gonna talk again you know he started to talk and then he said he'd never walk again um and he he can walk with a little bit of assistance but it has impacted his physical mobility since then you know he's not fully recovered so it's not a complete miracle but but to me uh that was a miracle and I, and I said in my prayer that if you save his life I'll give mine to yours I'll I'll go on a mission you know I'll give my life to you I'll, I'll serve if you save his life and then when that happened I knew that I needed to repay my end of the deal so yeah I went on a mission at age 19 and I went to Canada Alberta mission or Canada Calgary mission oh okay so now your father what you said was in Winnipeg right yeah so, so you guys got a Canadian connection so uh what was it like going to the uh great white north I mean that's that's pretty wild out there in Canada it was it was awesome I I, I arrived in summertime so it was actually really hot oh sure I got so badly sunburned it was like yeah. 30 plus degrees the first few weeks uh just a beautiful country I love the people the scenery's beautiful as well I got to go to Banff and Waterton National Park and one of my areas was in British Columbia so I was just living in the mountains uh, I got to see loads of animals and honestly my mission was just a great experience and I went out with really strong missionary zeal like I wanted to talk to everybody about the gospel I wasn't afraid to knock doors or talk to people on the streets and in in ways I believe I felt that it was the Lord was with me and I had the spirit with me because I struggled with confidence and with anxiety growing up but as a missionary I felt like that inner inner confidence and I truly felt like I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ we have the truth I want to bring people into the church teach them about the plan of salvation um and like I experienced some hard things on my mission some disappointments but in general it was a very faith promoting experience that sort of solidified my testimony and and my conversion uh, in the church so how many people did you uh, baptize on your mission? Uh, we had six baptisms. Okay. Uh, so it wasn't too bad. It's, you know, it's kind of a hard mission. The, you know, in Canada, uh, there was a lot of rejection, but yeah, we had six baptisms and they're all really awesome people. And, and I, I just loved all the members and people you got to visit with. Like you, you really made amazing connections with people that you would never have possible yeah. you know one of the interesting things is calgary is uh or alberta it, itself province is a pretty conservative area it also has a sizable evangelical community that lives there i was just wondering did you have any uh, interactions with evangelicals yeah well uh so especially my first era because we did a lot of trafting at the start of my mission we the mission emphasized doing more member work and trying to work with like less actives and part member families but at the start it was pretty much all door knocking so i i met a lot of uh christians a couple of jehovah witnesses so i did get into some bible bashes or debates some of them were friendly and some of them were a bit uh hostile most of the time i felt like they didn't know the bible that well so we were able to win the debates but there was a couple of guys who knew the bible so much better than me uh i, I remember this one guy uh, we were debating if Jesus is Jehovah, and obviously the Latter Day Saint view was, you know, Jesus Christ is the pre-mortal Jehovah, uh, you know, the Jehovah of the Old Testament. And then he showed me a scripture in Psalms. So Jehovah is the big capitalized Lord, and the small Lord sits on his right hand. And then he showed me how in the New Testament, 
a scripture, I think it was in Acts, how Jesus sits on the right hand of God. And I remember just being like, I don't know how to respond to that. Like, he's right. And I was like, he's, he's beaten me with the Bible. So we would have had a few like discussions with people. Um, but yeah, more at the start of my mission. Hmm. Okay. Okay. That's cool. So it was more, it sounds like you were interacting, getting into debates more with Jehovah's Witnesses than just about anybody. Jehovah's Witnesses, or some people would say, oh, I'm Catholic, but okay. they, wouldn't, they wouldn't really be good at defending no. their beliefs. Uh, but there was one Protestant guy that we taught a few lessons to, and he was actually a really nice guy. Uh, we played, uh, oh, what do you call that? nerdy game Dungeons and Dragons with them on a P-Day once and uh, he was super nice but he you know couldn't accept um you know he, he was quoting all the scriptures about you know saved by grace through faith not of work so we had a lot of discussions uh but in general um didn't encounter anything that really troubled my faith as a missionary I did notice a few things from studying the Book of Mormon carefully you know I noticed that a lot of Mormon doctrine isn't in the Book of Mormon. And I kind of wonder if that, if it contains the fullness of the gospel, why why is there nothing about kingdoms of glory or why why is there no mention of baptisms for the dead or the endowment or men becoming gods? And I also noticed some passages that seemed sort of Trinitarian, you know, referring to Jesus as both the Father and the Son. And I was like, wait a minute, like, why is it saying this? Mm -hmm. um, actually, I remember a really funny lesson. We did a lesson with this Catholic and we were trying to, we were teaching about Joseph Smith and the first vision, how he saw two separate beings and um we gave her a scripture passage to read in 35 11 and it talked about how they're one and mm -hmm. she was quoting this verse to almost uh for to support her beliefs and i was like you can't use our book against us here <laughs> well she she if as a catholic if she pulled out the 1830 edition and then quoted how mary is the mother of god that was later changed to the mother of the son of god she would have really nailed you guys there oh yeah i, I didn't know if i thought uh <laughs> yeah pretty wild stuff yeah it's, it's interesting the book of mormon is a fascinating document because it is in, in one sense i i say it's a thoroughly christian book um it's a thoroughly protestant book and so i think that's 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 and, and like you said there are you know as you do research you realize that yeah okay the book of mormon is like the, the most important that's the calling card of mormonism but yet it has very little mormon doctrine in it which is just i always find that to be a fa fascinating place yeah to, and it didn't cause me to question my faith there were just wee things that i observed i guess i will quickly mention i did experience uh one moment of a faith crisis on my mission okay i won't go into the personal details but there was uh, a young woman from back home who i felt strongly and felt like i'd received spiritual confirmations that she was the right girl and that mm -hmm. I would marry her and, and long story short, she married someone else on oh. my mission. Yeah. And that, that was my first faith crisis and it was nothing to do with church history. Right. It was, I thought God had told me, I thought I'd received an answer from the spirit, a revelation confirming she was the right one, but she married someone else. And then I was like, well, how can I, if I felt as strong about her as I did about my experience with Joseph Smith, yeah. the church being true, I was like, how do I really know if Joseph Smith is a prophet? Then how can I say that I know the Book of Mormon is true if it was a similar spiritual confirmation, but it didn't come to pass? And that was one of those moments where I was out just over a year and I had a choice either to sort of turn away from God or turn towards him in faith, despite feeling left down. Because I, I couldn't deny some of the experiences I'd had growing up, but I felt very confused and misled in some ways. Hmm. So, my faith crisis, first faith crisis, and it was nothing to do with church history. 
Um, okay. Mission. Now, this is what's so interesting because kind of leads to um, where we're heading, which is um, you you get back and uh, just t- tell us a little bit about you come back to your mission. Tell us how your life proceeds. And then let's get to the point where you decide you want to do this podcast or this YouTube channel. Awesome. Okay. So, yeah, I got back uh, about five years ago. I came home with strong missionary, return missionary zeal. I was serving as board mission leader. Uh, I was in the YSC presidency. I was young men's president as well. Um, so my mum, she passed away shortly after I got home from my mission. She was very ill with uh, lung fibrosis. Uh, so after she passed away, it kind of brought my family together. And it was it was a sad but a very sacred time. And I also felt like I dealt with the grief and received a lot of closure about her death. And I felt really at peace that you know, I'll see her again, you know, her sufferings come to an end. She's, she's in heaven. And, um, you know, my mom was super faithful to the end. Like she wasn't just, uh, somebody who was faithful, you know, on a Sunday or she really did live her faith. You know, she would always have read her scriptures and she was just a truly Christ-like saintly person. Um, so even though that was a, a tough time, it was one that brought our family together and it really, helped my faith. Um, but one of my sisters had left the church and lost her faith over church history. And because I really wanted to help her and to bring her back, um, you know, I started talking to her. And I, in order to help someone, you have to know their concerns and try to resolve them. But up until this point, I didn't really know much about the, uh, church history or any issues with the truth claims. You know, I knew that, you know, blacks didn't have the priesthood until 1978. I knew there was multiple accounts of the first vision. He had a seer stone, but I didn't know really anything. I didn't go searching for anything. But she started sharing with me some of her concerns, um, you know, telling me things like, you know, Joseph Smith drank wine in Carthage jail. And I'm just like, what? I'm like, no, he didn't. I'm like, where are you getting this nonsense from? And then she would show me sources in the history of the church, journal discourses, um, which then caused me to sort of go down the rabbit hole. And she showed me a podcast of Grant Palmer. So I was listening to all his interviews, Sandra Tanner, Mormon Stories, Dan Vogel, uh, CS Letter. I ordered Grant Palmer's book, Insider's View of Mormon Origins. And within the space of a couple of months, my my testimony was just shattered. You know, I just, I think I was, I was so 100%, it's all true. The scripture is 100% true. Everything a prophet says, is true and i had this really whitewashed um idealistic view of joseph smith as this really righteous hero of a prophet and then there is this other part of the history that i felt the church had hidden and i didn't know how to combat or reconcile all those issues so long story short i tried meeting with my state president and we had discussions about things and i tried looking at apologetics but it just wasn't working. Uh, so I completely lost my faith in, in Joseph Smith in the Book of Mormon, I think. And, and how long ago was this? This roughly? was uh, December, November, December, 2018. So that okay. been three, nearly four years ago. Okay. Um, but I still believed in God. I still believed in Jesus. I still believed that God answered my prayers. But I, I think the way that I had interpreted my other spiritual experiences is those were emotional feelings I had based on the information, but you know the information I've been told wasn't the full accurate history. Um, so I went th- I went through a few months where you know I wasn't believing in the church, but I was still 
believing in God. I ordered, uh, I think it was the NIV of the Bible and read the New Testament myself. I was going to Christian churches, okay. investigating those. I was dating a Christian girl and I was very close to becoming uh, a Christian. We were going like this Presbyterian church. Oh, really? Church. That's mm -hmm. interesting. Huh. Uh, I was you know, investigating about like uh, things to do with the Trinity because I, I struggle with understanding. Well, I, I actually understood the Trinity and I realized, oh boy, I've been misrepresenting this ah. the whole time as a missionary. I think I've been referring to it more as modalism. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think um, I, I struggled to fully accept and join uh, a Christian church. But anyway. Um, so just so I understand, so you are investigating other Christian churches. You're looking at the Presbyterian church. You're reading an NIV, which is a very evangelical version of the Bible. It's one of the more popular ones. At this point, would you have th thought of yourself as maybe heading towards the evangelical camp? Yeah, yes. Yeah. Uh, so my my dad's side of the family, like I said, they're they're Protestants, and you know we had some discussions, and you know I I was reading a lot of those passages talking about like grace through uh, through faith, um, you know, not of works, like in Book of Romans and Galatians. And I'm like, how have I never noticed these passages before? So I was really understanding um, a lot of their beliefs, and I was also looking at uh, you know how Mormonism contradicts the Bible. I was looking for problems as well uh, and i was listening to a lot of different like ministers and uh different pastors and you know people like jeff durbin james white okay like um, <laughs> i i never felt like completely like I, I never felt like god led me or was telling me that this was the right path for you i never felt like i got any sort of a spiritual answer but i think i'd also lost faith in spiritual answers so anyway, I kind of started then question the Bible, Christianity, you know, there was a Mormon Stories interview with David Bokovoy, and I was starting to almost question all my experiences. Um, and, you know, my dad had been sending me some apologetic things, and so I've been listening to them, and I would always beat him if we'd have a, a debate about the truth claims or the history. But there was one video he sent me that um, talked about the parallels between the Temple Endowment and... Uh, ancient Egyptian temple rituals and it was by a guy called Bruce Porter and I didn't want to watch it I was like no it's not true I'm not I'm, I don't want to listen to this but then I was like you know what I was open-minded enough to listen to my sister when she shared with me her doubts and concerns I'm like I should be open-minded I should give it a watch uh, it, it didn't prove anything to me I didn't think it was super convincing but at the same time there were some parallels that I acknowledged and I was like, you know, I can understand to a believer that that seems like good evidence. And maybe I just assumed, you know, he had just taken everything from masonry and the story. That's all there is. And I didn't realize that there's actually maybe other evidence that for maybe early Christian temple rites or to, you know, Egypt, that it's, it's possible that he could have been inspired. But anyway, um, someone sent me a talk by Elder Corbridge and, um, it was entitled Stand Forever. It was a BYU devotional. And he talked about, you know, that pe people leaving the church over doubts with church history. And he talked about secondary questions and primary questions. And, and he talked about how, you know, you can be just completely overcome by all these secondary questions and you could spend a lifetime trying to resolve them. And he said like, yes, they're important, but 
the primary questions and he talked about like the spiritual gloom he felt as he was going through this antagonistic material and while I felt kind of liberated and it was kind of exciting whenever I was researching the church and whenever I left I did feel a bit of a loss of identity and a loss of spirituality and connection to God in some ways um, and I remember at one point in his talk he like held up the scriptures and he was like ask yourselves ask God are these lies delusion or truth and I guess I'd come to the conclusion either he was deluded or he was deceiving people that was sort of my interpretation but anyway that prompted me to sincerely fast and pray and you know I was going back and forth between critics and apologists and I kind of came to this point like if I believe in God if I believe there's a God in heaven if I believe that God can speak to me and can answer my prayers then I've got to believe that he'll answer me now and it was like I'm going to set all my concerns off to one side all the apologetics all the problems and I was like I need an answer from God like a, a big spiritual witness that's more than just a feeling um so it's fasting and praying and then um i opened the scriptures which i hadn't really read since leaving or at least you know the book of mormon doctrine and covenants but i opened and read in dnc 18 and i would probably describe it as that was probably one of the most powerful spiritual experiences i had um i can't remember the passage off the top of my head but it essentially said you know these are the words of Christ. They're not the words of men or the words of the devil. These are the words of Christ, you know, given by my servant, you know, by my spirit. And you can testify that you've heard my voice and know my words. And then it continued on saying, you know, to repent, have faith in me, keep the commandments. And whenever I read that, I remember just tears streamed down my face. And, you know, the scriptures say that the spirit enlightens your mind, fills your soul with joy. And that was exactly what I felt as I read it and I felt it was as if it was the Lord speaking to me giving me an answer a revelation um, and I, I believed it was the spirit but then after I, I kind of wrestled with it I kind of doubted it I was like well maybe it was just elevation emotion or it was just a coincidence so then I prayed again for a spiritual confirmation was it revelation uh, and I read in DNC 6 where it said um, the Lord speaking to Oliver Cardry uh in the revelation said you know blessed art thou for what thou hast done for thou hast inquired of me and as often as thou hast inquired you know thou hast received instruction of my spirits and that said um you know if it were not so you would not be at the points where you, where you are at this time behold you know that you've inquired of me and i did enlighten thy mind and i tell you these things that thou mayest know that thou hast been enlightened by the spirit of truth and then later it says you know um what greater witness can you have then from god have i not speak in peace to and whenever i read those words again it was almost like mind-blowing it almost felt like it was the lord speaking directly to me um answering my prayer and again it felt like the spirit enlightening my mind and filled with that joy uh so i continued to wrestle but eventually i i had to make the decision to come back and to you know am i gonna follow this spiritual experience because it still took faith there's still part of me that thought well maybe this is just a coincidence Maybe it's elevation emotion in my prayers by God. There's so many problems. How can it be true? And then I was praying for like a sure sign. Like, let me see an angel. Let me see the gold plates. Like, mm. give me a sure sign. And then I would open the scriptures and then it would read and rebuke me saying, you know, cursed is he who seeks after a sure sign, you know, sign or sign seeker. Sign. Yeah. Signs follow those who believe, uh, but faith doesn't come from signs. Uh, so long story short, I decided to come back to the church 
and to have faith again. Uh, whenever I came back, I met my wife. We started dating, and then we got engaged. And I was trying to overcome my doubts because I still had them, right? Like I felt like my shelf crashed, all the books on my shelf, yeah. and that experience was like God giving me a new shelf. Okay, but He didn't remove many of the books. And slowly, I was trying to find intellectual answers. I was going to faithful sources, you know, Fair Mormon, uh, Saints Unscripted, LDS Truth Claims, Latter-day Saints q and I was Rough Stone Rolling. So I was trying to find more faithful answers. And I was trying to stay away from the more critical stuff, uh, you know, trying to help my faith grow. Uh, but over, over those years, I would say I've continued to have spiritual experiences, faith-promoting experiences that have strengthened my faith in God, that he answers prayers, um, and that he speaks to me that he has spoken to me uh but then i've also continued to struggle with doubts struggle with concerns uh you know i've had i've probably multiple faith crises since then and it's been hard to reconcile my spiritual experiences with a lot of the things that critics pose with the truth claims and the history uh so then leading on to me starting my podcast well just real quick what what Wait, year was what year did you Come back into faith uh, in the church. Like what? What? what what's where are we on the time? June 2019. So I, I only stopped June, for around six, seven months. Okay, so it wasn't a super long period of time. Mm -hmm. uh, and over the course of the three years since I've been back, you know, my faith has kind of been a bit up and down. Uh, I would say that I don't have the certain uh, faith that I felt like I had before. I felt like I had a very, you know, I hundred percent know it's true. I would have said I know it's true. Yeah. I had no doubts. And in some ways, I feel like I wish, I wish my faith in my testimony could go back to being that strong. Yeah. But at the same time, that original testimony that I had completely crashed with the concerns with church history and the truth claims. And I almost feel like this new shelf, while I have all these doubts and all these concerns and all this unbelief, that this new shelf that I've been given has almost withstood it. And when it's been near ready to crash at times, it's almost like God's put in another screw. He's given me another experience to help keep that fire going. Um, sorry, I can't remember what your question. Wow, no, that's just interesting. So, so now you you've decided all leading all to, up to this, you're you're returned back to the church. You still have your doubts. You're. It sounds to me you're still working things out. And sometimes I feel like okay, like with my channel, I didn't realize it at the time because I I could have done it. I could have gone a different direction, but. It was weird. Once I started my channel, the idea of my channel starts up, I immediately start having spiritual experiences. And so early on in the process, before I even taped my first video, I was like, oh, uh, this was supposed to be a secular scholarly show, but apparently the spirit is going to enter into the conversation as well. And so it happened very organically. But then, of course, you had your six months where you were out of the church. I essentially was an atheist for like, I don't know. You, you've seen my Mormon stories interview at least like, at least a dozen years. I don't. Even, I'm trying to in my mind. I'm trying to think like yeah, how long was an atheist for? But I was for over ten years at least. I was. I would definitely would have been an atheist more in my interview. Exactly. You know, and uh, so yeah, it's just it's it's uh, what I've been learning is um, I'm on a faith journey too, and so I'm just wondering. You decide to start a podcast. Let's lead up to that. And is this part of your faith journey? Yeah, yeah. So. Um... I think the more research and the more study I've done into church history and the truth claims, the more I realize that there's so much I don't know. And uh, I think there needs to be an element of humility and there's more nuance and complexity 
than whenever I first left the church, I was 100% a critic. I thought, you know, the CS letter is all there is sort of to it. And I felt like I knew for 100% that it all wasn't true. And I felt like I could debunk anybody. And I hadn't really given both sides a fair look. If, I, if I'm being completely honest, I looked a bit at apologetics, but I just kind of threw everything out very quickly. But what prompted me to start the channel was, you know, I've continued over the years. I still listen to podcasts. I still listen to Mormon stories. I like Mormon stories. I love the interviews. And I, I enjoy hearing pushback and having my faith challenged. And if it's true, it can withhold criticism and investigation. We shouldn't be afraid of research. And I, I believe strongly in that. But I was listening to the LDS discussion series and it started to shake my faith again. Okay. Um, intellectually, more so. I wouldn't say that I was going through an emotional crisis, but intellectually, uh, I was like, they're bringing up some really good, fair criticisms against the church. And I was like, I need to honestly navigate my way through and come to some conclusion. Um, how can I make sense of some of these things? And also I'd had some discussions with family members who have either left the church or who are leaving. Uh, bringing up a lot of these same issues and I'm aware of a lot of them and they're getting some of the details wrong but then whenever I would answer I was like yeah you know that is kind of an issue I empathize I think this is what the faithful response would be but I, I wasn't just trying to just outright defend the church and a lot of the time I realized that you know I've actually shelved a lot of things and I don't have really good convincing intellectual answers and the other thing that prompted me to start the channel was we did a debate. Um, I, I was training this year to be a teacher uh, doing a PGC and we had a, a debate week at school. So we picked a topic and we debated and we looked at what makes a good debate. And it's like, well, you look at the arguments for and the arguments against, you look at the evidence to, to support it. And then when you look at both sides objectively and fairly, uh, then you can come to an informed decision or conclusion. And so that kind of, I made those connections with, with Mormonism, with church history, and I felt that I need to really try to navigate my way through. I want to look at everything critics have to say, everything apologists have to say, and then try to come to some conclusion. So I made a big presentation on the first vision. Only took me about two days, to be honest, because these, these things have been going around in my head. It was over like a hundred slides. And um, yeah, I just, went to looking at critical arguments, some apologetic responses. And then whenever I did it, I was like, this was a lot of work for nothing. I was like, I should record myself yep. going through this. And then I had the idea that I should do a channel that tries to be objective and fair and to look at both sides. Because I think the one thing I found with the different channels I was watching is a bit of bias on both sides. Mm -hmm. And the only, the only one is cite information uh, that supports their position. And I was noticing that a little bit with both sides. And I wanted to try to do neither and both, if that makes sense. And if people are really trying to follow the truth, come to a, you know, a, a decision on the evidence of the history of the truth claims, let's try to share both sides. And truly my goal with starting this channel is not to harm people's faith. If I wanted to, I could just be super critical. I, you know, I, I, I could do that. But for me, I want to try to navigate my way through and find answers. But I also want people, I think people should be aware about church history. I think they should be aware about the controversial aspects. And the church hasn't been fully transparent and forthright in its history. There's so many things that I didn't know 
you know, I was in the church 22 years, served a mission, studied the scriptures, and people should be aware of this, this information, in my view. Yeah, and that's how I always tell people, you know, it's your birthright. Your history of your church, you have a, it's your birthright to know your history. And that's why the work that the Tanners did over the last 50, 60 years was invaluable. And of course, now we see the Gospel Topics essays that the church is acknowledging many of these things too. So it's moving in that direction. Uh, yeah. Probably not as quickly as you'd like to see it go, but, um, and that's the thing, like, you know, what I find interesting is that you're, you kind of have the same spirit that I have, which is try to be an unbiased person. And, and that's why I, I had I've got reached out to you because I'm like, hey, he's, he's the Northern Ireland version of me in one sense, although you're a member of the church and I'm outside of it. Uh, but it, it's just, it's cool what the effort that you're putting into this. Now, let me just ask you a few questions because now you just start up this podcast. Now, yeah. um, what, what, what's what been some of your biggest surprises? Like uh, you started this YouTube channel a couple months ago. Um, just, you're still fresh. This is all still new to you. It's exciting. Um, just talk a little bit about that. Oh, biggest surprises. I think um, getting the audio and video stuff right has been a lot of struggle. I'm not a technical expert at all. I'm just starting out. I'm hoping to get better. Um, I think some of the surprises have actually been people have been watching. Yeah. <laughs> it's still small, but Jenny, whenever I started, although you kind of start intend, like you kind of hope to get a lot of people watching and my channel is still really small, but um, you're kind of surprised when people do start watching at the same time. Mm -hmm. So that's been, um, I suppose, kind of nice. Um, and it's been really awesome to get, uh, you know, I got Dan Vogel and Brian Heels and also Robert Boylan um, to come on and do an interview with me. And I was super pumped about that because whenever I first started reaching out to people, if they'd want to come on and do an interview, I got quite a few people either not responding or rejecting. And you start to think like, oh, I'm a nobody. Nobody's going to come on. You know, who's going to listen to me? And it was super cool to, to do interviews with with those guys and to have just a really good discussion and um like a good i felt even though you know dan's more of a critic brian's an apologist that i felt like both were really interesting and fun and important and edifying discussions mm. and i i just don't like the us versus them mentality mm -hmm. that there can be between critics and apologists or members and non-members or ex-mormons and mormons and i think um that's probably been one of the hardest things is I have been getting criticism, you know, to my channel or some of my videos from people on both sides, you know, far okay. on both sides, uh, which you kind of have to get thick skin. Yeah. But it yeah. Be, yeah. It, it, that's uh, it, what's so amazing to me is this is, this is, see, you're at this point where I was at, you know, last summer, uh, I just, I have a little over a hundred subscribers. I've booked Richard Bushman to come on my program. I mean, the chant it's, I'm talking to John DeLynn and Sam and all these big names and people in the church and community of Christ. And one of the cool things about where your channel's at right now is that you basically have like 150, 200 subscribers. These are the core of your channel. The, the first people that find your channel are the people that get really, really deep in the weeds, who geek out over this, who are really into it. So you have this, the people you're, that are your first 150, 200, 500, whatever, these these are people that they, they know their stuff too. So you have this really high quality audience 
mm-hmm. in a very knowledgeable audience because they found you. And that's the key thing. If, if the people that find the guy with 100 subscribers, that means they really are searching. So you got you, you actually have right now like a really cool core group of people that you can build upon. Just that's how that's my observation. No, it's so true. And then, uh, I mean, I run into people like when I was in Utah, I was like, you know, came up to one of my meetups. Yeah, I, I watched you almost from the beginning. I'm like, wow. You know, and then they come, they, they make their time to come and meet me. I mean, so then you have this weird thing where all of a sudden, like, even though I still only had like 150, 200 subscribers, like where I'm at, you know, I start responding to people like on Reddit and people are like, oh, I can't believe you responded to my posts. And like, what? And then that gets, it gets surreal. Yeah. What's that like? I mean, uh, what's it like just to now you've put yourself out there. People are now responding to you. Um, just how, how does that feel? It's kind of cool. You know, it's it's a mixed bag. I, I'd say most of the time I'm getting compliments and people thanking me for, you know, my, my content, for, you know, the work that I'm doing. I'm, you know, praising, getting praised for the interviews I've done. Obviously, it's hard to completely eliminate your bias. I, I try my best to be fair and objective. I've gotten some criticism from both sides, either that I lean too faithful or too pro church. And I've gotten good spot to be. some haters, but then I've also gotten uh, some ones who are very strong on the apologetic side who think, oh, you're secretly a wolf in sheep's clothing or you're, oh. you're too critical, you know, okay. shouldn't be even talking about the critical arguments. You know, you could be harming faith. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, people who are quite ex- extreme on both sides who don't really like me, but those who are maybe more middle of the road who are more nuanced, um, I think have been quite appreciative. But I've been surprised by the number of members from my stake who have said to me that they've you know been watching. Whenever I was at a ward barbecue on Monday and a few of them were asking me about my channel and asking me yeah. questions to do with, I think the church history, like the book of Abraham or Joseph Messiah Stone. It was kind of like, it was nice that people are being open and interested. And I've gotten very few people uh, who I know personally uh, have a go at me about my channel, just, you know, random strangers, but most people have been really supportive. And yep. I know a podcaster, pretty well-known one that he doesn't even, nobody in his ward even knows what he's doing. And part of it, because he doesn't want it to get out there because he's worried maybe something could happen that causes a controversy and maybe then he gets the attention of the bishop. Are you worried at all that what you're doing could get you in trouble? Yeah, I've obviously thought about it um you know i thought as i've been doing this that some of the episodes i do aren't the most faith promoting because i'm trying to be objective i'm trying to show both the critical arguments and hear some faithful responses but i i recognize that this might harm some people's faith and i think that adds a bit of responsibility as well that i i don't want to damage people's faith um but I, I also don't want to hold back from sharing, you know, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and let's let's look at both sides, sort of thing. Uh, but I try to be very careful in my sort of analysis. I try not to attack the church. Uh, I try not to um, do anything that would probably get me in trouble with, uh, you know, local leadership per se. But at the same time, I don't just defend the church or always go with. Like there, there will be times where I'll say, I don't think this is a good apologetic response. But I think most of the time, there's two inter- interpretations you can take from the evidence sometimes. And I like to say, you take whichever interpretation you think makes most sense, which feels right to you. 
intellectually, spiritually. And some people have said that uh, my video has helped them in their faith. And I've actually been surprised. I'm like, really, not video? I haven't found it super faith promoting. Like, but that's been quite. That's been nice as well. Um, that I've gotten that that positive feedback as well. Now, I just want to ask you a little bit of a familial dynamic here, if you don't mind, and if you, if you're not comfortable answering it, that's fine. Um, but you had a sister who basically she gave you all this information, kind of caused your shelf to break. Um, so I'm assuming she's out of the church, and then you have a father who's a faithful member. Um, what do they think of the channel? Uh, so I've not talked about it too much with uh, my sister who's left the church. One of my other sisters, she's also uh, gone through a bit of a faith crisis and she's not attending. She's uh, watched uh, a couple of my episodes. In general, I think she thinks it's good that I'm being sort of like fair and objective and I'm talking about the history. I remember my dad, he sent me a message after one video and I thought this was kind of funny because he said, I don't get are you trying to defend the church? Are you trying to attack the church? Or are you doing neither? And I was like, exactly. I was like, I'm glad that you, you're confused because I'm trying to eliminate my bias mm -hmm. as much as I can. Um, and I've actually had a few people saying to me, like, I've really enjoyed that video, but which side are you on? Yeah. I don't always like to give it away because uh, I'm just trying to be more objective. So I think my channel is more of an intellectual than a spiritual sort of pursuit. But there's times where I might interject like spiritual thoughts as well. Uh, but no, um, no issues really with my family. My wife's been very supportive as well. You know, she's very strong in her faith and she doesn't struggle with the things that I struggle with. And at times I'm like, why doesn't this bother you? But she's been super supportive of uh, what I'm doing. So that's been a big help as well. Well, that's great. Now, are you wearing a hockey jersey? Yep. Let me see it. Uh, oh, Canada. Oh, that's lovely. That's so awesome. And of course, yeah. did you buy that when you were on your mission? I did. Had to get it. So you, you, you love Canada. Apparently your dad does probably, right? You feel like you're, yeah. it's almost like a second country to you, a second home. Yeah. I could have seen myself going back and living there, but the winter is just, you get so sick of the snow. It's like <laughs> six months of snow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's great. Well, I think it's really cool what you're doing. I think, um, you know, it's, it's funny, like, okay, what are you doing? That's say, like, you're an evangelical. And of course, uh, you're going to be interviewing me in a little bit. And so we're, we're going to, we can tease that. But that was like, when I first started, I literally had this, like, when I would have somebody on the Zoom call to introduce myself, I would have to explain for a half an hour what my, what I'm doing. And even then, I'm like, well, okay. And there would be people like, uh, like, like Mark Elwood, when I reached out to him with his, uh, the graphic novel, uh, you know, the, the glass looker. Say, man, when I saw you're an evangelical, I was like, what? And now I don't have to do that anymore because now under people understand, oh, NBR, Mormon Book Fits. Oh, I know where he's coming from. And that's what's going to happen to you yeah. is once you've, uh, you, you know, so you got this really cool niche that you got going here where you're, you're, and, and, and kind of like Rick Bennett, he's kind of in the same spot where he says, yeah, I get attacked from the right and the left. And he said, and that's right where I want to be. You know, people who are anti or pro, um, that they equally kind of deride him. So I think that's a good place for you to be too, because it sounds to me like you're trying to be fair and balanced and you're trying to just be as neutral as you can be knowing that you are a member of the church. And I think it's important, you know, people know that and they do. Um, so you're, you're, you're a member and you're exploring these ideas. And I think it's good because there's a lot of people out there that aren't going to watch an anti-show and maybe miss out some information, whereas you're going to be able to present historical things that are based in true history and reality and do it in a way that can introduce these topics. Like I tell people, I said, you much rather 
you know, I, you would much rather hear what I have to say about maybe some of my biblical deconstructions, some of the views that I have about biblical scholarship. It's probably better you hear it from me than you hear it from an atheist. And it's kind of the same thing. Like you're going to use materials that might be viewed as critical, but they're also based in factual stuff. And I think that's where you can find that really cool sweet spot. I know I'm talking, but I, I just love helping and giving advice to new folk. And I think what you're doing is fantastic. As a matter of fact, you probably don't even need advice from me because it sounds to me like you have, you're on the right track. Like I told you off camera, I'm going to mention it to you. The most important person, the, the, your show is for an audience of one. It's for you. And anybody that wants to come along for the ride, you know, they can join. But really, you want to do the show be something you'd want to watch. And um, you've created something that I want to watch. I, I think for both of us, I think you'd be similar to me, but it's your personal interest and passion and fascination for the church and its history and, you know, faith and religion. Um, that is sort of like the main driver. Mm -hmm. I think that's, that's the main motivation. Um, and it's, yeah, it's been super fun to explore this hobby or passion of mine. And one listener did say to me, um, in response to something you brought up that she said, I think this is a good resource to share with my believing family and friends. Yeah. I think she left the church, but she said, I think this is a good way to share it with them. So some of the more controversial parts of history, but not in a way like the CS letter that's just going to attack them and, and just leave them part of the church. Yeah. yeah, I try my best to try to be objective. Obviously, I'm not a historian. I don't know everything. And there's maybe times unintentionally where maybe I get something wrong. But I, I say the majority of the time, I try to be accurate with the information that I'm sharing. You know, I careful with my sources, get them from reliable places. Well, the most important thing is uh, have fun. As long as you're having fun and you're enjoying this, then it's it's not a job. It's just a it's a it's a joy. It can be a very joyful thing. It can be a very fun thing. And just that's the key thing is have fun at the center of it. Yeah, will do. So, um, was there anything else you wanted to cover? No, I don't. I don't, don't think so. Um, like, if you're probably to ask me, like, where is my faith right now, currently? And I think I maybe alluded to it, but I would say that. Um, you know, I'm still a believer. I still, uh, I would say I have faith. I wouldn't say that I have certainty or sure knowledge. I wouldn't say that I know things, even though I would say that I've had some spiritual experiences or answers to prayer, which I don't know how to deny or explain away. Uh, there's possible, there's possibility they're coincidences or elevation emotion. You know, I've thought about those things, but I've chosen to believe in that. I, I genuinely, for me, believe that when I die, I believe there's going to be an afterlife. I believe I'm going to meet God. I believe there's going to be a Jesus. I believe I'll see my mom again. Um, to me, that's that's what I believe. Okay. Um, but I still have issues. I still have doubts. I still have things on my shelf that I'm trying to work through and trying to navigate my way through. So you could say I'm maybe more progressive or nuanced. But I kind of see myself as a believer who struggles with unbelief and died at times and I'm just trying to navigate my way through but one thing I'm trying to do which my wife encouraged me is while I'm doing this intellectual intellectual pursuit or navigation still try to include God in the journey you know keep reading scriptures keep praying keep going to church you know if don't uh, include God in this faith journey and in, in this discovery you know be open to the divine and spiritual answers as well as intellectual and um, that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to, you know, be careful and take things slow and not 
not rush to any fast conclusion. So I actually, another question is, what do you, what do you, where, where do you see, see yourself a year from now? What kind of improvements you you like to make to the channel? Uh, you plan on doing some upgrades? Um, what, what, what are some, do you have like a, like an idea? Like I see, I don't really have a plan, but I just want to know, do you kind of have a plan of where you want to be like six months from now, a year from now? Um, you know, I, I would like to improve, you know, like my, my camera, my microphone. I've got a friend who says he might help me with that. Um, any donations people could give, uh, would be helpful. But see, since I've started doing interviews, I have absolutely loved doing interviews and I still want to do my own research and sort of pick a church history topic that was originally my plan and then just do maybe the odd interview on the side to support that but I would love and could see myself going more into interviewing it's a lot more fun having experts and people who know so much more than I do talk about it and you can just ask questions rather than be the one that has to do all the research and put everything together and then you have to talk it's exhausting if you record a 30 minute video of you just talking absolutely yeah, um, yeah. Interesting. Well, we're going to talk about, because I, I had a similar kind of thing with my channel, but we'll talk about that in the interview. So folks, this is what we're going to do. Now, I'm not sure how exactly we're going to coordinate this. We're still, this is a work in progress. A lot of we, uh, gears going on here. But what we're going to try to do is kind of maybe coordinate the release of our episodes. How we do it, we'll figure it out. But basically, I want you guys to stay tuned because um, I'm now going to be a guest on your program and you're going to interview me. And so this is really cool. Um, I, I gave you the opportunity to, you know, to talk to me about some things that I haven't talked about on camera. So I, th I thought I'm going to give this guy a shot and let him let him roll. And it's really cool that you're doing this. Um, I just yeah. want to remind my oh, but thanks for coming on today. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, uh, Stephen. I absolutely love uh, I loved your interview with with John Dillon. I listened to it all. You seem just like such a really nice, genuine guy. And even though that you're an evangelical Christian, I felt like some connection in our faith journeys um and yeah you just come across like a really humble sincere guy when we've talked off off the air on the air and i've really appreciated you having me on to try to help me as well you know help me with my channel and just to get to know each other and also your your channel is really good i've been starting to listen to a lot of your videos and it's it's really good so definitely listeners thank you. subscribe to his channel thank you i appreciate that man that's cool mormonism with the murph it's an awesome channel. Check it out. I'm going to provide a link uh, in the description uh, to the interview uh, that, that you'll be doing. Um, also put it on the end screen. I also want to remind my audience to don't forget to like and subscribe and hit the notification bell when a new video comes out. Uh, we are on all the major podcast formats. Uh, we're working on up uploading the audio. We're having some issues there, but we do have a, quite a bit of stuff on uh, the podcast format. Also, if you want to support the channel, go to the merch store, mormonbookreviews.com. Um, if you want to support us financially, you can go down in the links and support us via PayPal or Patreon. I just did a Patreon special video yesterday. I do exclusive content or I sometimes do early releases of interviews like maybe this one. Uh, my Patreons would be able to see ahead of time. So if you uh, and also I, I'm, I'm doing things with my Patreons where I, I'm going to do Zoom one on one Zoom calls with my Patreons. And it doesn't matter what tier you're on. If you uh, want to be a Patreon and you want to do a, a infrequent Zoom with me once a month or whatever, we're going to do that, too. So either way. Don't forget, folks, all the voices of the restoration will be heard on Mormon Book Reviews.